Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Freeway Phantom is available each week on Wednesdays. To hear each episode ad-free and one week early, check out Tenderfoot Plus at tenderfootplus.com. You're listening to Freeway Phantom, a production of iHeartRadio, Tenderfoot TV, and Black Bar Mitzvah. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the podcast author or individuals participating in the podcast and do not represent those of iHeartMedia, Tenderfoot TV, Black Bar Mitzvah, or their employees. This podcast also contains subject matter that may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Here's the reality of missing youth and a sad reality, the reason why you all don't see it. So if you're listening to this right now, I want you to go on DC's website, police website, and look for missing kids. And the missing children that come up, I'm going to tell you right now, 90% of the boys and girls are in my program. The hard thing is we can't tell you who because these are still open cases. So it's hard when it's trafficking. The homicide detectives termed the cases the little girl cases. This child was uh, laying on the side of the road. I wouldn't go nowhere. I wouldn't come out my house. Those first five murders should have been a huge warning bell for the police. We just want to know what happened. This person must have saw that they were thinking that maybe it's just one person. And he says, uh-uh, they need to know. This is me. I thought that they would catch him. I thought it was just a matter of time. I'm Celeste Headley, and this is Freeway Phantom. Over the course of this season, we've covered the murders of eight young black girls that occurred in Washington, D.C., between 1971 and 1972. Six were confirmed victims of the Freeway Phantom and two were unconfirmed. In talking about each of these cases, we've uncovered bigger systemic issues at play, like racial bias in the media and police response. But while talking to Henderson Long of DC's Missing Voice, we became aware of another issue that's sadly too prevalent today, human trafficking. Today, many of the reports of missing children can be attributed to child sex trafficking. Whenever you talk about missing people, you better address trafficking because it's always going to come up. In 2022, 25,000 children were reported to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children as runaways, 
The center reports that one in six of those kids were likely victims of child sex trafficking. Anytime a young person is missing, they can fall victim to sex trafficking. They can fall victim to physical abuse. This is important. Whether they ran away on their own or whether they were abducted is so important. And I don't want to minimize structures in the family and voluntary. When a person leaves voluntarily, don't mean he left voluntarily. It's coercion going on from the pimp. And Tina's going to get into all of this. Henderson told us about Courtney's House, a D.C.-based organization that works with survivors of childhood sexual exploitation. The organization receives dozens of referrals every year. For this bonus episode, we sat down with its founder, a domestic sex trafficking survivor, to discuss the issues currently facing other survivors and the work that her nonprofit does to advocate for and support them. My name is Tina Front, executive director and founder of Courtney's House is based in Washington, D.C. The mission isn't to rescue, right? It's to give survivors a place of community and encouragement to help them get out the life and that they learn the tools so they won't re-enter the life. It's not about saving people. What the hell? That's God's job. I can't save you, but I can help you and lead you to the water and encourage you to drink it. That's what I can do without judgment. As a trafficking survivor herself, Tina decided to devote her life to helping others escape exploitation. She joined advocacy groups, fighting to support other survivors, but it wasn't easy. And her own journey out of trafficking wasn't quite over. After years working in anti-trafficking nonprofits, she considered going back into what she calls the life. I actually was in a very bad place. Couldn't make no money correctly, lost jobs. It was crazy doing all this stuff. Won a CNN Heroes Award and still wasn't doing good because I wasn't supposed to be there. So I went out on the track. This is like 2007. So I went out on the track. A track is like where you go, right? If you want to sell yourself, I'll never call it sex work because I never thought it was. So with that being said, it's Chicago. It's one of real winter. It is literally five degrees outside. You know, it's people out. But what I was paying attention to was I'm just going to walk around and see if any pimps out here. This is a pimp trap. And it was. The car started following me. It was a pimp. So I'm like, shit, I can't go home because he's following me. So I'm like, I'm about to cut through the alley. So I hear this sound and I'm about to run. Because I think that it's a rat. It's the, I'm about to haul. But then I'm like, that's not a rat. So it was this girl who was like 15, hiding behind the dumpster. And then I realized like that pimp was also looking for her. So I was like, hey, I'm about to help you. So I did. And at that time, like I really couldn't find anything in Chicago, you know, that really worked in trafficking or really did what they said for a place for her to, to go to. But I was able to talk to foster care and like find this placement. And then I realized I'm supposed to go back to DC. Tina's calling was clear, helping survivors like herself get back on their feet. But she still struggled to find her place within the system. Her previous experiences working for domestic trafficking advocacy groups 
left her feeling burned out and exploited. I didn't want to start my own organization. And when I say that, that's because I was at another organization. And being a survivor is actually pretty hard in this movement. Being at this organization, it was difficult. I worked 90 hours a week, took care of my mother, and also had two small children at that time. And when I left that place, I was drained. I was mentally drained. So I was feeling pretty down, and as a survivor, I felt used. I thought I felt like I had another pimp, and it was an organization. As a black woman, I felt like this movement wasn't created for me. And as a survivor, I felt that, and that's crazy, because it was off of my tears of what happened to me that it was created off of. But I was feeling pretty down, so my mom at the time was like, look, you got to start your organization. Like, God wants you to start my your own organization. She's very religious. And I said, uh-uh. No, that's not. No, girl. That's not the science. Two weeks after that, I get a call from the foundation that used to fund the organization I was with on the housing. So they funded it, so they knew I ran it. And they came to me and said, we have a grant that's coming out. You should apply for it. Got the grant. It was 120000 They had no staff, so I said, well, why don't you do what Tina know how to do? Street outreach. So we started with street outreach, like I started for other people. Said, I'll start that getting people. I'll get volunteers. And I'll train them correctly. We're going to do real ass street outreach, right? Like on the pimp control tracks, on the ground, where pimps at. So I did. So we did things different. I switched up the items we gave out every six months. So first it was like chapsticks, mirrors. Getting into the neighborhoods themselves, showing up in these communities. Her willingness to meet people where they were helped establish Tina and her volunteers as friendly and supportive faces in the communities. What made me feel good at night, like what really made me feel good, was that you would see people. They would pull them out and move our past and smile. And they would say things because you have to bring a message that you for them. This is not, you get in one situation and then you out. We had a youth, I first met her at 13, when they started doing raids. She didn't come to me until she was 15. But I used to see her at the raids, and what happened was, most of our referrals come word of mouth. And I'm so honored by that, because there's other youth in the program that tell their friends. And so that's what actually happened with her. She knew so many people that were receiving our services. She decided to trust us. After months of hard work, securing funding, 501c3 status, and establishing community relationships, it was time to find a home base. Tina settled on a house in the Congress Heights neighborhood of D.C. This would become Courtney's house, which opened in 2008. My youngest daughter's name is Courtney, and my oldest daughter's name is Shanae, but the housing was going to be Shay and Courtney's house, but I didn't name it. My mom um, left that in her will, the name, and she left me a small amount of money to start Courtney's house. Courtney's house works with youth survivors of trafficking. They come to the program through referrals, and many of them have been on the missing children registry. Tina and everyone who staffs Courtney's house have built a robust community in the D.C. area, connecting with many of these missing kids who might otherwise be forgotten by the system. So if youth are missing, there's two parts of that story. If they're currently missing right now, 
foster care others, parents, they still refer them to me. I still look for youth online. There are sites, but more importantly, most of our kids know everyone. And people who are in the life, you all, we all know them. It's the same people. So that's my first start. And because I have a relationship with them, we can work with the police and help in that sort. Because I usually have more information than the police do. So that's one. And I know a lot of different places where people put people. So that's one, too. Henderson Long and I have been thinking of ways where we can save things. So behind the scenes, I do email Henderson Long and say who's in our program or not and if we need their help. But publicly, he cannot give that information. Henderson and Tina agree that when legal terms like trafficking are turned into buzzwords through media firestorms, the risk of misinformation that comes with the heightened tension is high. The way I kind of break down a few words so that we can understand. Modern day trafficking, trafficking, these are buzzwords we've all heard. So the reason why they came up with trafficking, that confuses everybody. Think of the other things that are connected to trafficking, right? Drug trafficking, organ trafficking. Guys, it's a government word. Government doesn't make up new words for things. They don't. They add it to one. So then it confused all of you because it's created by the government and lawyers, not by people. So what that meant is the charge of trafficking. So that can mean you walk in came here today to interview me and I, and that's what I told you, but I locked the doors, took everything, and I forced you either to clean the drop-in center, forced you to have sex with somebody against your will. You're over the age of 18, just barely. So then I have to prove any trickery, any fraud. So trickery, how did I trick you to come here? Fraud, I lied about something. And then you're over the age of 18, so I have to prove that you didn't choose it. If you are 12 or under the age of 18, then you don't have to prove any force or fraud. So that's what trafficking is. Now, the next thing that confuses people is a pimp and a trafficker. The reality is a pimp and a trafficker is the same. A pimp is a trafficking charge. They don't get a pimp charge. They get a trafficking charge. That's the confusion, right? Because we try to separate it because the TV glamorizes pimps. Oh, they just fun. They had a pimp slap. They fun. It's so fun. But it's not. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. 
And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tina says, the business of sex trafficking is much more complicated than most people realize. It can take shape in various forms, influenced by gender, ethnicity, and a number of other social and cultural factors. I want to break down real quickly so you all can understand the four forms of domestic sex trafficking, right? There's pimp control. Most people just talk about that. There is family control. Since the pandemic, 42% of our youth family control. The next thing, gang control, which you see a lot here, of our Latina population. So you'll see MS-13 and 18th Street Los Locos. So that'd be the most popular. And then, of course, the boys. And the reason why they're categorized that way is because different you go through different things, right? You're not trafficked the same. So it's very difficult with the boys because what boy wants to say they were sex trafficked sexually abused, without, unfortunately, the African-American community thinking they're gay. And I'm just, it's, that's the saddest piece to me. Tina points out that it's not just a misunderstanding of the terminology hurting the movement, but also a misunderstanding of how to combat trafficking as well. Throughout this season, we talked about how the 2017 hashtag MissingDCGirls went viral. What began as a way to raise awareness of several cases involving missing black and brown teenagers quickly led to complications for the D.C. police department and organizations like Courtney's House. Well, they got everything wrong. One, it was just girls. And not all the boys that were online missing as well who were also in my program. I'm like, wait, it's a whole section on the boys. They didn't understand the trafficking and didn't even reach out to people to help them understand. They just like, hashtag, and now we were furious. Our kids was furious coming to the center, like not understanding trafficking also made the kids angry and having trauma. They were literally telling me, like they always do, Miss Tina, you need to call them. I love them because they think I have more power than I have. And they're like, you need to call them and tell them because it's misinformation. It's not true. You hurt the cause when you leave out a whole gender. So the real, the kids are missing, like right now. That is a quick, that lasted for a few months, child. A couple months. And then that's it. And no one cares. And the list has grown more than it was. And that's what it did. It hurt. And again, with the boys. It's more boys missing right now than girls. But we're not talking about that hashtag nothing. And this begs the question. If more young boys are missing than young girls, why aren't they receiving at least an equal amount of attention? 
they don't want to believe the trafficking of boys. That's why I think it is. I really think it's, they don't. Like, I have to convince people, which doesn't make sense. And the way I say it, just to make them think always is this. Why do we think, we know that boys are abused just like girls. So why would we think, oh, I'll just abuse them, but not profit off of them. Like, say it out loud, it don't make sense. Right, but the problem is, the boys are the perfect. You know why? They don't send them down. The girls will. The boys won't. Tina says racial disparities are another hurdle in the movement to help traffic teens. These disparities are present in the legal system, in policing, and even in institutions meant to provide support, the nonprofit organizations. She says Courtney's house is fighting against that and trying to set a better example. I'm part of Hope Court. Hope Court in D.C. is a specialized court for sex trafficking. So I'm part of that. I don't believe in a court system, that youth should go into a court system. I'm on it so they can get the right services. At the same time, Courtney's house is trying to shut it down. Why? Because it's all youth of color. And yes, Caucasian kids are trafficked here. They come to me a different way. They come to me by referrals through their therapists, you all. And there are at private, very well-known private schools in the area. But because I train therapists, it always comes that way. The police return them home, they give them a therapist, and then they come to me. It's not that way for you for people of color or black or brown, anything like that. If you look right now, most of the organizations are Caucasian that work on trafficking, that have houses, and most of them are faith-based. Most of them, when you go on their website, will also tell you, in no shade, because God led me to this, but God led me to this to make sure I had skills but they say, I just prayed on and on night, and God gave me a house. I've never, Tina, because they call me all the time, I've never started a housing a day in my life. I don't know what to do, but God put in my heart to do this. And I say, isn't that right? I said, well, God also probably told you contact people and contract people that know what they're doing. So they don't partner with me. They want to steal my information for free. They always tell me how they don't have money to, for it. So you think these are the places I will refer to any of the black youth? And also, the, all the programs they go to, they want to leave because of the racism. Other kids teasing them that are Caucasian. The staff not saying nothing. The racism is throughout this movement. It's very difficult. And Tina's solution? To get involved in every aspect of the movement. From working on policy, to training judges, to implementing a curriculum on domestic sex trafficking in the school system. I will tell you, if you talk to anyone in this area, they are going to say, Tina do everything. Han T, you have to, because like one needs the other. I started a youth policy group, and it's funded, and our youth get paid. I don't believe in these things where they ask the youth and give them $25 gift cards. To get $75 um, every week and $100 for all politicians, you know, they talk to. First, we worked on, because they really wanted to work on, the not legalizing prostitution in D.C. So we were able to block that bill. And right now, we're focusing on foster care, changing some policy. Then I am the first faculty survivor, African-American, for the National Judicial um, of Judges Training Center. So we train judges on, like, how to identify and not arresting. So I focus heavily on don't arrest because actually because they're judges for all over okay I just want to tell you how many of them 
are like, you know what I do? I just put her in jail and then she'll talk. And, and that's actually the behavior that we try to change of other alternative ways. The other way I work on that is we have a curriculum coming out in schools, not in DC, Maryland, or Virginia, but 23 other states. And it is for kindergarten through 12th grade. I really feel like it all has to be a community of understanding what's going on in our own neighborhoods and what's affecting our kids who are getting good grades, who go to good schools in the area. These are about grown people manipulating. So of course anyone can get manipulated. We have to work on 500 things of changing laws. If we didn't change laws, like we have to, right? Because we have to still do the work and support them. Tina says approaching the issue holistically like this makes a huge difference because unlike many other similar organizations, Courtney's House provides support that lasts for years down the line. The thing about us is that we're a long-term program. We have people right now that are at college in surrounding areas, doing well, went through college, maybe went, became, you know, dentistry work or chefs that we were able to help. The thing is, I get to see the growth, which I love. We go to their events. I get to see that they're getting into college. So some of the things that we did for two of our youth that got into college and are going away, we were able to get a grant and pay for books. Y'all know how expensive books are. So we were actually able to do that because we have a fund for scholarships and school items. We're going to go with one of the youth because she's in care. So we'll be going with her and, and buying items and setting it up. We help pick out her list of what she thinks she wants to do right now. So when we say a family, I get to see all of you. I get to see their children live healthy. You find a need that they need and you make sure you do it. That's, that's what I say. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. 
all these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. After sitting down with Tina, she agreed to give us a tour of Courtney's house. It's a large, two-story house with five rooms, a communal kitchen, and a spacious living room. We started at the front door, working our way through the house as she walked us through how it works. So Courtney's house, let me, let me kind of start from the beginning real quick. We're a drop-in center. So a drop-in center is not housing. So the popular misconception is everybody just need housing and we can't provide services because they need housing. Like that doesn't actually make sense. So the reason why we're in a house is because I always tell them this is like their house, right? Their center, we just happen to work out of here. So I think that's important for a community, but also a lot of our youth do have placements. You know, foster care has placement. So they do, some don't. And then here in DC, um, so youth age goes to 24 in DC which is good, that's because they have specialized housing. And what was happening in like the regular over 18 housing was they were being sexually assaulted, they were being re-trafficked. So DC had to like do something different, right? So our ages here are 11 to 24. So again, it goes up. So we can find housing for people who need it because of the youth act that passed here. So more people provide housing. Even though they provide housing in these places, say we it's accept sex trafficking, they really don't do the case management. So you still need a program to work with them. And again, we have a relationship. And usually those programs don't know anything actually really about them. So the next part of that, and we work with boys and girls and always have because of my own experience. So we've always worked with boys and girls at the beginning of Courtney's house, almost 12 years ago, 12 years ago, (laughs) right? So with that being said, when you come here, you, the, you sign in, right? The other thing is we have, because of the young population, every day we have activities. So we have a calendar that we have with different activities that the survivor service coordinators do. So we don't say case managers at Courtney's house. So every day there's activity. We have one-on-ones. One-on-ones is counseling. But no kid wants to be like, I can't wait to go to counseling, it's so great. So we call them one-on-ones because that's what it is. They get to pick a topic, but I promise you, you can pick a topic and I'm always gonna be able to make it back to trafficking. But that's the good thing is that we say 30 minutes on purpose. Those are how long the sessions are, but they're not. And that's because they talk more. So it's usually 45. So with kids, you gotta be like 30, right? To get them to 45, (laughs) right? 
So we do that, but you earn points. So we'll, when I go upstairs, I'll show you what are like, you know when you go to the subway or get something to eat and they have those little cards, you know, my hairstylist got those. And the fifth one, you get free or half off or whatever. So here we have those cards and they get punched when they do group. Group is on Saturdays. Those are still in, online right now. And they're called Transitioning Your Mindset Out of the Life. Then we have a boys group specifically too. That's here. And it's 30 minutes. All of them say 30 minutes. But again, they go over, of course. So with that being said, June was Pride Month. So we also did some Pride, Black Lives Matters. And look how just artistic they are. Because girl, I can't make nothing. <laughs> so this is some of their artwork for some of their things. We have a lot of Uno competitions. Won't play with the Uno. Um, and then Thursday, we unfortunately had a, um, well, fortunately, we had a pool day. So, you know, kid games, right? Minnows and shark, and, you know. And I think saying these things in our hide-and-seek competitions here will tell you the young population. So when I say I work with youth, I don't know why people think the higher age when, like, our average age is between 11 and 17. Next, we moved into the downstairs kitchen, which leads out to the backyard. Okay, so we eat all together. We have a drop-in-the-center aide that cooks every day. She's putting a new menu up. Hold on, I gotta turn my lights on. She's putting a new menu up, so that's not here. But we do have all our babies, um, you know, what their allergies are and such here, too. We had some stuff donated, and when it was those high winds, it tore up our little umbrella. But this is our backyard. We do, all of that was donated, too. We do cookouts and stuff for the kids. When it's not 100 degrees, they like to do their one-on-ones outside. Walking back inside, Tina tells us how COVID-19 has impacted their services, including how they do mealtimes. We're open right now since, because of the pandemic, two days a week here, Tuesday and Thursday, 12 to 6. So we say they like to call it dinner, but it's like lunch and really dinner whenever people come towards the end. So it's really two meals a day, but nothing. So here you're not allowed to use cans or processed foods. So actually everything is cooked from scratch, even the chicken nuggets. Everything cooked from scratch, just so they can learn what fresh food is. And I mean, they're kids, y'all. I still got to force them to eat vegetables. So we just find new ways the drop-in center A of doing that so they'll be able to eat things and introduce. But on Thursday, I have food from another organization got um, barbecue for the kids. So that was like a treat. Chipotle, like, donate. So we get a lot of food donation. I'm good at free. Tina has set up the lowest level as a hangout area for the kids. This is the basement area. Okay, so there's two bathrooms. One's upstairs, one's down here with a shower. So people do take showers. We have all this stuff. They love being down here. Um, and then more artwork and items for um, the survivors as well. Games, we have, like I said, game competitions. Washer and dryer. So people are allowed to wash clothes. I have a ton of things. So they're also able to get all the toiletries, things. We have clothing donations as well, and that's another bathroom. Tina says working with so many kids can be challenging. They have to clean every two hours 
here. I mean, I work with kids that do not believe in getting vaccinated. Out of 72, we have four youth. That's why we couldn't really come in because people were getting COVID. No one stayed in the house. I mean, that wasn't the story at all. So I have to do a thing. Now, we're all vaccinated, but all the kids aren't. So we still take them down the street. There is a test site. So we take them once a month. I mean, I work with kids, girl. You can't take them every 14 days. It ain't going to happen. And we go with them, you know, to get tested. And it's the quick one so that they'll know. Oh, and movies. We have um, a screen. So we usually put something up. And it's usually movies and shows. Like, we've been watching Grownish, too, because I love some of their topics, you know. So, and then it's a discussion about it over food. And I make popcorn for scratch because we'll do the uh, microwave. While walking us around the second floor offices, Tina takes us through the prize system that's meant to encourage participation in counseling sessions. Remember we were talking about the 101? Survivors, um, so every here we say survivors. And I actually don't like when people say survivors and victims. Like, nobody wants to be a victim. So you were a survivor when you were out in the street. And that makes them want to tell you and not say that they were a victim because then you don't want to talk about it. You want to be stronger than that. So... Survivors. So they have a grand goal. So the grand goal, when you get your whole chart kind of filled, can be like getting your hair done, braided. Boys love getting their haircuts. Um, so one of one, you get one whole punch on your card, completing more than your card weekly one on one. We're on you special treats. So then you'll get to pick from grab bags that we have of items. There's a whole bunch of stuff. And you'll see a lot of fun things we got donated because those go quickly. Complete three consecutive weeks of one-on-ones and you win a swag bag. Then you have like another bag with things they probably would like and want that they can win that. Complete four consecutive weeks of one-on-ones and you'll earn what your grand goal is. We have big item, ticket items for the winner, like real Ugg boots, big ones for going to all your items. We have a lot of like boy boots and things and clothes for them as well. And some... (laughs) Some slides for both boys and girls that they'll be able to win. So we got some good prizes. (laughs) To earn these prizes, she has each person pick various goals to work towards. Each child is different. So goals could be things like this. Sleeping without a nightlight because of their nightmares and how to work on that. It could be learning how to say no to people, not getting a car with somebody. So those are some of the beginning goals. These are not goals like school and get straight A's. <laughs> if I can get them to go to school, I'd be happy. So that's a goal. Shit, you win three days a week. Like, amen. So, yes. Courtney's house is a crucial institution in the Congress Heights neighborhood, and the work they do extends from the DMV area through the rest of the country. Every day, Tina and her crew are fighting diligently to help traffic teens and eradicate racial disparities in the missing children system. The work is tough. Funding can be hard to come by and the staff is often shorthanded. As such, we thought we'd end this episode by having Tina tell you how you can support Courtney's house and all about the incredible work they do to support their community. You know, I think the great thing about Courtney's House is that you can support from anywhere. www.courtney'shouse, we're an official 
um, IG, so on Instagram, we are official Courtney's house. Guess what, y'all? We got a TikTok. We don't show the kids' faces, but official Courtney's house. Follow us on TikTok. We have TikTok wars every day with the youth. That's how they also won prizes. So there are a few things. You can send some prizes. We have an Amazon list. Do you want to know how 60 youth eat food quickly? We go through snacks, boxes daily. <laughs> so we have a full food program. You can donate and help with that. And that is a true need. We really do run out of food. We take field trips with our youth. We have a witch lift because we do a lot of art projects. And I'm telling you, our kids are artists. So there are some things that people offer online. We actually had a cartoon artist offer some free cartoon design online with kids and they loved it. So think about what you're good at. Think about what you can do out there and think about what you can do here because you don't have to do direct services. There are so many things you can do and help and feel the impact at Courtney's house. Freeway Phantom is a production of iHeartRadio, Tenderfoot TV, and Black Bar Mitzvah. Our host is Celeste Hidley. This episode was written and produced by Noemi Griffin. The show is written by Trevor Young, Jamie Albright, and Celeste Hidley. Executive producers on behalf of iHeartRadio include Matt Frederick and Alex Williams with supervising producer Trevor Young. Executive producers on behalf of Tenderfoot TV include Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay with producers Jamie Albright and Tracy Kaplan. Executive producers on behalf of Black Bar Mitzvah include myself, Jay Ellis, and Aaron Bergman with producer Sidney Foos. Lead researcher is Jamie Albright. Artwork by Mr. Soul 216. Original music by Makeup and Vanity Set. Special thanks to the team at UTA, Beck Media and Marketing, and the Nord Group. Tenderfoot TV and iHeartMedia, as well as Black Bar Mitzvah, have increased the reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for the Freeway Phantom murders. The previous reward of up to $150,000 offered by the Metropolitan Police Department has been matched. A new total reward of up to $300,000 is now being offered. If you have any information relating to these unsolved crimes, contact the Metropolitan Police Department at area code 202-727-9099. For more information, please visit freeway-phantom.com. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks for listening. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. 
That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.